The Insurance Coffee House is hosted by Insurance Search. Insurance Search provides executive recruitment services to insurance companies, brokers, and insurtechs in the UK and across the United States, attracting and retaining the most successful leaders to your insurance business. To find out more, visit insurance-search.com. The Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get to meet and be inspired by the most successful insurance business leaders from across the world. Hosted by Nick Hoadley, CEO of Insurance Search. Welcome to the Insurance Coffee House. Today, I am really happy to be joined by Erica Wood. Erica is the Chief People Officer at Coverwell, leading commercial auto insure tech based up in new york city erica pleasure to have you on the show today how are you doing yeah i'm feeling really good thanks for having me nick it's a pleasure to have you on the show erica looking forward to this conversation for a while now i'm looking forward to some of the sharings that we'll have for our listeners before we get into that though as you know we are in the insurance coffee house today what is your coffee of choice this morning it doesn't look really appetizing. It's a green drink, but I strongly recommend it. I heard about it from uh, Dr. Andrew Huberman, who swears by it. It's got, I don't know, over 42 essential vitamins and amino acids and good brain food. So that's my coffee. It's gross looking, but it's delicious. Erica, would you mind starting off talking a little bit about your career? I know you've not had a traditional HR career up to this point. Maybe you could share with our listeners a little bit more about it your brand? In my undergrad, I couldn't decide between psychology and business. So I did both and always found myself gravitating towards psychology, human psychology, leadership. In my early consulting days, I had phenomenal mentors at a company Insignium. They get a lot of the credit for all the leadership development, Dale Carnegie training, leadership communication, and then I left the company during the recession. And that's the best time to leave a job. I was told it was a really, really bad idea by many, many, many people. And I was like, I just, I have to do it. I don't know what it is. I have to follow this gut instinct here. And I went back to pursue my master's at Villanova, another phenomenal school, really, really great mentors there. Dr. Gina Marie Ligon is one of them. She is the one that got me really jazzed about organizational psychology. She has her PhD in IO psychology, and I just loved her. And I was like, what is this organizational psychology and this neuroscience? And then I joined a, a leadership group when I was living in California called Neuro Leadership. And they had this speaker. His name is Dr. Dan Radecki. And listening to him take very complicated neuroscientific research and distilling it so simply in terms of leadership and communication and business interactions and stress and well-being and a good time to have a hard conversation and a really bad idea of a bad time when you shouldn't have that conversation. I mean, the implications are really vast. He started this academy, Academy of Brain-Based Leadership, I was like, I, I'm following him. I don't know what this is, but I'm following him. He is brilliant. He has different certification programs. I was mentored by him and, and a partner of his. They wrote a book called Psychological Safety. Highly recommend their book. Again, distilled with, you know, chock full of neuroscience research. 
It was a very, very strange, cutest path, but I just always believe you got to follow your gut. You got to follow your intuition. You got to follow what you're interested in and it might not make sense. It makes me think of that Steve Jobs quote where he says, it doesn't make sense when you're in the middle of the story, but then when you look in hindsight, all those little breadcrumbs and all those little side trails that are really actually, you're perfectly on path. Yeah, so I definitely don't have a traditional... HR background per se, but I did work for an organization where there was a lot of HR consulting and and really phenomenal mentors there as well. And how did you meet the leadership team there at Coverwell? How did that process? Yeah, a mutual friend, actually. So after I left my last organization, I kind of went on my own and I started doing some consulting work and created an LLC and one woman show with a virtual assistant and that gets lonely. But I had a a friend who introduced me to Kevin, the president of Cover Whale and said, they need some support and you need to talk to Kevin. He shared who Kevin is. They went to high school together. I was like, this guy sounds really cool. (laughs) Wharton graduate, you know, really jazzed about all things business and insurance, met Kevin and it's just a couple of minutes into the conversation, I thought that this was going to be a client, that Coverwell was going to be a client. And pretty soon into the conversation, Kevin's like, wait, wait, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. We've got contractors, we've got consultants. They do a lot of great for us. We're actually looking for our chief people officer. I was immediately like, maybe I can just help them. And I thought about it. It takes one conversation to get a sense of the culture of a company. And Kevin is refreshingly transparent, and that's not so common. He's very direct, very clear. What you see is what you get. I really admire that and feel drawn to that. It reminds me of like the best mentors in my career have been very direct. <laughs> what you see is what you get. There's honesty. There's there's truth. And I thought about it, and I sent Kevin a note and said, I you know, I'm happy to support you guys. Here are some ideas based off of our conversation. Here's where I think you should begin. He said, we should have lunch. And in that conversation, it was just already the rapport was there, the intellectual humility. Here's where we need some support. I had ideas. Seemed like, what am I saying no to? I'm not your HR policy handbook person. You're not going to get the best of me. If that's what I'm doing here, I will be bored to tears. As <laughs> he said, you get to hire your lieutenants. Let's talk mm-hmm. through this. I just got more and more and more excited. And then he invited me to the lower Manhattan office, which is mind-bogglingly gorgeous. It's on the eighth floor yeah. off of Maiden Lane, looking over East River and Brooklyn Bridge. Anybody who walks that yeah. office, wow, this is stunning. Deal closer, isn't it? Oh, man. And every person I met, wow, they're really smart. Wow. These are people I could see myself hanging out after work with. They were really kind, really smart in their respective areas. I met each member of the executive team. I asked them questions. They asked me hard questions. And then I met Dan. What do you think about like a learning organization? What do you think about learning and development? And he's just like, I would love to see and be able to say that people got a rich education while they were working for us. He gets it. I'm all in. They're more on the progressive side, more on the innovative side, more in the, yeah, let's experiment with that. 
the incredible trust that's given to experiment with things is mind-boggling. I've never looked back. Really engaging with them in April of last year. I've been here a little over a year now. And I know it's going really, really well. Just for our listeners' benefit as well, yeah, Kevin Abramson, the president there, really amazing guy. And actually, I can really see that connection there. And I can see why that was such a powerful conversation between the two of you. And then for our listeners, we've actually done a podcast as well with Kevin. You'll be able to see that in earlier episodes and definitely one to listen to as well. And as well as the culture that you've been building there at Club Well, you get that insight and that openness. I think that's great from a senior leader like him. So thanks for that, Erica. Erica, in terms of the business at the moment, since you joined, you know, it's been quite a whirlwind journey, but I know there's been a lot of success in that time, in that 12-month period. I'm sure it probably feels like a little bit longer for you than just 12 months. Where is the business now in terms of size and reach? Maybe if you could share a little bit more about numbers of employees and markets that you're working in there. It's very, very exciting times. We now have 122 employees all over the country. We have a California office headquarters in New York City. We've got some contractors who are key to supporting us get to that next step. We've got AI experts, machine learning experts, engineers, incredibly brilliant actuaries. We've got very, very rich, diverse talent. Like we're truly an insured tech. Obviously, our raison d'etre is safety, 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 using technology to make the world safer. Our loss ratios are very low in the 50s. That's what you want. It's one thing to be profitable and cash flow positive and investors like really intrigued and all the gross written premium. But if you don't have loss ratios, that you're not really winning the game. So hyper growth, we just surpassed $500 million in a very short period of time. We can now say half a billion dollars. Very, very exciting. That's amazing. I know there has been hyper growth and the technology that you've got there and the talent that you've brought into the organization to work with that technology and to maximize its effectiveness, whilst also you've actually got a really great insurance product, which is underwriting really well and performing really well, which at the end of the day is a great solution for the customers that you serve there. So I think you've got an amazing balance on both sides, the technology side and the insurance side of things. Erica, I'd love to find out a bit more. You talked about your background and your expertise in neuroleadership, in brain-based leadership, you know, really scientific approach to people and operations. How have you implemented that into your role there as the chief people officer at Coverwell? Great question. It's embedded into everything that we do. Last year, we kicked off these learning labs. And we now have Coverwell University. We're going to be doing another iteration in the next couple of months, just talking about communication. But we've rolled out a large number of labs. We've talked about interviewing. We've talked about not just interviewing and what to ask, but how to ask and how to really engage somebody authentically. Because anybody can, you know, have a very standard answer, but that's a whole different story. Like, how do you build trust in a really short period of time? There's massive neuroscience around the importance of trust. Am I 
talking too much or am I asking more? Am I taking up more of the airtime? Am I allowing them to really shine? I mean, the implications of really becoming excellent at interviewing, that goes into coaching, that goes into insatiable curiosity and building the kind of culture where people feel safe and they feel a sense of belonging. We, as a leadership team, went over this seven-level model of effectiveness, and this kind of came from Be Above Leadership and Betts, Ursula Potinga. They established this model and pulled neuroscience research from multiple researchers, and it has implications into our communication, has implications into the culture, has implications into, do I feel safe enough in this meeting to raise my hand and say, I don't actually agree with the direction we're going here. I have an idea. Some companies where you don't have the safety to do that, and then you're stymieing the potential. You're limiting the potential of people's capability of thinking outside of the box. Innovation requires incredible courage. And leadership sets the tone in really creating that safety. But if you don't feel safe, you're not going to take those risks. And it's going to be less satisfying, less fulfilling, and we're not going to get the best out of our people. I am really proud to say that we have incredible people across the organization at all levels. And it matters that the leadership really cultivates the kind of space where people Mm -hmm. can say, I didn't actually like the way that you spoke to me. I want to work through this. Like this is going to happen. It's an insured tech. There's going to be in the best of companies, you do want some tension and debate. That's why I love this place because I mean, our senior leadership team meetings, you debate. And, you know, Kevin and Dan, our CEO, they don't just allow it. They partake and encourage it. That's not everywhere. That's not in every company. And when it's there, you know it because it just creates a richness of ideas. And then you have way more to work with. I also want to highlight part of Dr. Dan Radecki's work really highlights that behemoth study that was done at Google, Project Aristotle. There's a good New York Times article for your listeners, highly recommended. It was talking about Google's quest to create the perfect team. They had all sorts of hypotheses as to like, what makes a high-performing team a high-performing team? Is it their IQ score? Is it where they went to college? Is it their personality? Like, What is at the source of this? Who better to study this than Google? And uh, way more data points. Wouldn't you know, the number one predictive indicator of high-performing teams was psychological safety. That's kind of mind-blowing. And psychological safety, they weren't the ones to coin that term. That actually, the credit goes to Dr. Amy Edmondson. She coined the term in, I think, 1999. If people don't feel psychologically safe, they're not going to take those interpersonal risks. When safety's not there, it's like, Will I be punished for speaking up? Not even like outwardly, but will there be adverse social consequences of me speaking up? I can see potentially two sides to that. I think really coaching your leadership team and embedding that within the interview process will then allow you to have those conversations and not only hire the best talent around in the market, which you've certainly done, but also work with people who share those same values and value that opportunity to work in an environment like that. 
I feel suddenly inclined to say that you've been an enormous help for that, Nick, (laughs) your partnership. You are truly one of our preferred partners in terms of finding phenomenal talent. So thank you, (laughs) because some of the humans who we love, you introduced us to. You certainly make my job easier with the approach that you take. Seriously, it is really enlightening. Yeah, that's what the top talent are looking for. But to your point regarding interviewing, I have Dan to thank. He read this book called Who? I think you've heard us talk about this. He read a book on a flight back from seeing partners in London, and uh, he read it on the flight back. And it was called Who? by Jeff Smart, and I think it's Randy Street. How to bring in top A player talent. I read the book as soon as he recommended it, sat down in a weekend, took copious notes. And this is really good. I wish I had read this years ago. (laughs) No more voodoo hiring. You know, our interviewing process was really inspired, very structured, very rigorous. We take it very seriously and we're incredibly transparent from the outset. We move fast here and this is going to be very challenging. So we don't want to sugarcoat that, sugarcoat anything. And it's the most invigorating and exciting adventure of a lifetime. But part of the interview process is also reviewing their scorecard. So everybody has a scorecard. We've designed the scorecard in advance before we've even started talking to potential candidates. And competencies are usually, yeah, are you open to feedback? How do you handle feedback? Because you're going to get a lot of it here. (laughs) And if you can't handle it, probably not the place for you. There are other places where they are totally cool not having the hard conversations and saying the hard things and we're not them. (laughs) So (laughs) openness to feedback, openness to criticism, you know, all of our new hires now get radical candor when they join the company, the whole leadership team read it. And then we did, you know, sessions where we talked about it, discussions. That's a book by Kim Scott, another phenomenal read. It all kind of holds hands with trust and psychological safety because Kim Scott, her kind of ethos is you're not going to build trust and grow and do some pretty cool things unless you're willing to care about the person. And because you care about them, you're going to be honest with them. And how you deliver that matters (laughs) because most, you know, I think most of our communication, the impact is. I think was it over 80% is from our nonverbals and our tone and our inflection and our pace of speech, not necessarily the words that we say, but how we're saying those words. She also talks about three other quadrants, obnoxious aggression, which is like, I'm honest with you, but I don't really give a damn about how that just landed and have a great day. And we've all fallen in all four quadrants. They, they're not personality styles, but we can all do all four of them in, in a matter of one day. But if we really want to build something beautiful here and grow quickly and take care of our people, it would behoove us to really demonstrate how much we care about them by having a hard conversation with them. The best mentors in my career gave me tough feedback early. And that's love. That's my love language. You're honest with me and you say the hard thing. It's a demonstration of deep respect. I think the combination of process and structure, the elements of the Who book that you referred to there, coupled with your strategy and technique to actually then carry out those interviews, I think is the match made in heaven. And it really, really helped you bring in those high-performing leaders, which is essential to any organization, but particularly an organization in, in rapid growth like you are. I think that's been incredibly important. It's not just me. It's not just the people team. It's every single people leader 
who was receptive to the process, perceptive to the training, and painstakingly followed the process. I know that takes a lot, and it matters that people are actually really buying into the process, following the process, providing really clear notes to the people team after the interview. So I just want to give credit to our incredible people managers, too. And what have the outcomes been so far? I mean, clearly the business as a whole is a great success story so far since the business was founded. There's been huge growth, but also in a really profitable and underwriting in a very profitable and market leading way. What have some of the smaller outcomes been, maybe some of the internal outcomes of this approach, maybe on the culture of the company and of the working environment there? Gosh, there have been so many things that we've now implemented. It's incredible. We now have a devoted culture team and we have a representative from every single function, some leaders, some individual contributors. We started that last year. And then this year we now have some people left, some people came in. So we were really doing a yearly increments and what the culture team like the ideas it's like get out of the way y'all and let them just do their thing because the ideas that have been coming to fruition i mean we just had our very first all hands all company really fun team builder event with trivia i should also highlight that our partner raised by us they're a nonprofit organization and their impact is really really massive they concentrate on partnering with startups in the tech space and other cutting edge industries. I mean, I think they surpassed $11 million last year. All women run. They're incredible. Jessica Sloan, shout out. She's amazing what they're doing. But yeah, we partnered with them and did this all hands for the purpose of really creating more collaboration and more connectivity because more than half of our workforce is remote. Some people are hybrid. How do we stay connected? People want to have fun. And not the corny kind of fun that's boring and where you want to like exit after five minutes. But And there's neuroscience behind this too. Like it's so good for the brain. And it's also good to grant autonomy to these emerging leaders. I don't think leadership is reflected in title. It's reflected in how people show up in their role and how they play and how they collaborate. And one of our core values is collaboration and teamwork. So how do we keep like tending to connectivity? We had, I think, 60 people attended. We planned it in like three and a half weeks. It was a pretty quick turnaround because we had about 60 people and it was it was meant to be a competitive. We've got some competitive people here, which can be fun. The winner got $500 to give to the fundraiser of their choice. We had two second runner-ups that each got 300 and the, the third was 200 And uh, we now have a matching program, donation matching program. I mean, that's one. That's like one example of so many that have come by just getting the right people, creating an environment where they can speak up and show up and be their best. And that's one of my purposes is like bringing out the best in people wherever I am, like really elevating consciousness and creating a kind of open culture where you can disagree and you can even get impassioned. And it doesn't matter what your title is. I want, you know, I tell my team all the time, we have weekly people team models. I want to hear from each of you. We do round robin. Like, what are your blockers? What are your wins? What do you need from the team? And then we always go over these out of the norm questions just to get to know each other. 
hybrid can be tricky and hybrid's not going away. So how, how do we adapt? Erica leads us nicely onto the espresso round now. The espresso round. Erica, what one recommendation would you have for candidates, particularly senior candidates who are coming in to interview there at Coverwell for you? You know, we've had quite a few phenomenal leadership candidates come through. And most of our organization is millennials. We have all four generations represented. We have Gen Zs now. And Gen Zs are going to be dominating the workforce in the next 10, 15 years, 20 years. So how do you engage with a diverse workforce and have them understand sophisticated ideas in layman's terms? Because we have regular town halls. And how do you convey your world in a clear and cogent way that's understandable for everybody? What is your approach to leadership and to communication? Because what works here is authenticity and caring about people, and honesty, and integrity. I like getting in their world and finding out their approach. In your time, maybe at Coverwell or maybe in previous roles that you've had, can you remember one particular moment, a memorable moment, a funny moment, something that stands out to you that was outside of the ordinary from an interview perspective? Is there something that comes to mind? From an interview perspective, was an interview for a sales associate role and the dog really wanted to be a part of the conversation so much so (laughs) it was so cute it was like the dog knew he was having a critical conversation what's up (laughs) he was very very sweet erica we have a lot of hr a lot of people executives in the insurance world be listening to our conversation today, what would be the one piece of advice you would have for your peers when it comes to firing exceptional talent? Because I still feel like I'm learning. It's an art and a process. But I would say that building consistency and making sure that every candidate is truly having the same experience and what's not just the questions that are being asked, but really like following the same process. It's like the scientific method. If you're not following with consistency, then we don't, we can't really tell. We're not really comparing apples to apples. Don't have to ask these questions and not asking those questions could reveal itself later as a flag. And you can usually tell in the first 90 days, if there's something that, whoop, didn't pick that up in the interview process. Maria Latushko is talent acquisition. You know Maria. She's phenomenal. Absolutely amazing, talented, sharp, fiery. And uh, she's on us to make sure that we're following the process to a T. She is really good at keeping all of us really clear. And she's able to go back and see in the notes, like, see this? We noted this. And now this is showing up. Yeah, that consistency mm-hmm. is so important, like you say, for asking those questions, even if they don't feel appropriate or don't feel relevant, just to make sure that there aren't those red flags lurking there. I yeah. think it's good from a bias perspective as well, because often in a meeting, you, you can like someone very early on, and that can then cloud your judgment if you don't go through the process. I would be so curious to hear what your audience would say to this, but 
We find it to be a little bit of a flag when a candidate can't answer a question relative to a mistake in their career or a lesson learned or a failure. If they say, oh, yeah, I can't think of anything, I'm like, "Mm, I don't know. Self-awareness is not democratized, but it's really amazing when you do see somebody that knows where they struggle and they're completely honest. It's refreshing and it actually builds their credibility. So be curious how other HR leaders feel about that when people circumvent or evade those types of questions. And I'm sure that links in really well around the psychological safety. So not only part of the role and the culture of the business, but during that interview process to create an environment where candidates can open up and be refreshingly honest, certainly takes some skill and practice. And I know you're very good at that. What is most important to you when selecting an external recruitment partner? Anybody on our team knows I'm a Nick Hoadley fan and Kevin is a Nick Hoadley fan. We have a couple of preferred talent acquisition partners. How they treat us matters. I know that all of them really have some understanding of the importance of not creating more work for your customer and actually making the process easier for your customer. I don't think everybody knows how to do that. Obviously, it's great to see former placements. It's great to see your resume. It's great to see, he gave us a few examples of people you've placed in this particular role. But it's even more important, like, what is your process? And I really do love the way you tell us, yep, went through 134 candidates down to X. We'll have an update for you in five days. Now here's where we are with X. It just rests the brain. They've got it. I don't need to worry. I don't have to chase you and follow up and say, where are we with this? If anything, you chase us. But you have a process that it's so clearly mapped out that you give us precise metrics. We can kind of visually understand a dashboard of, oh, wow, you've gone through a lot of people and that you give us updates on the kind of candidates that are coming through. There's just so much connection where we're really like locked arms the whole entire way, all the way through extending the offer and being really excited about a new teammate. So clarity, um, process, and really excellent understanding of truly delighting your customer. Thank you for that, Erica. That's fantastic. You set a high bar. We appreciate it. Erica, we've almost reached the end of our time together today. It's been such an insightful conversation. I actually think it's going to be one of our longest episodes so far, but everything that we've discussed, I think, has been really excellent. In terms of closing advice that you might have for our listeners, and also if someone's considering maybe they've heard of Coverwell, they've seen some of the things that you're doing there, they're interested in opportunities there with you. What's your advice? What's your recommendation to someone who's thinking about an opportunity with Coverwell at this moment? We have more opportunities that we're still in the process of mapping out. I was meeting with our chief data officer last night to like really map out what are we building for his data team. We're looking at a potential data engineer, data analyst. So there's more to come. They're not live yet because we're still kind of working through job description, scorecard. We want this really buttoned up so that the person can hit the ground running and begin the onboarding process. But more to come in the next month, for sure. Would you be happy for listeners to reach out to you or reach out to the team 
following the podcast around either live opportunities or speculative applications for your consideration? Absolutely. HR at coverwhale.com. We'll post that on the show notes so listeners can pick straight through. Erica, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. I've really enjoyed the conversation and, you know, kudos to you personally for what you've achieved. I know it's a huge team effort. I think you're certainly showing what can be done in the insure tech environment and the insure tech space. Coming at it from a very, very different approach has been very successful and long may that continue. Thank you. We're just getting started. Thank you for listening to the Insurance Coffee House with Nick Hoadley. Join us next time for another episode packed with insights and advice for senior leaders, C-suite executives, and ambitious insurance professionals. Stream all episodes at insurance-search.com.